Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Welcome to The Point, an opinion show coming to you from Beijing. I'm Li Xin. How can African countries develop without feeling inferior? Can the Chinese development template fit the African continent? That's what Dr. Paul Tembe, a South African linguist, has been searching after studying China for some 20 years. He recently published a book on his take on Xi Jinping's thought through a South African perspective. Can African countries take a leaf or two from the China storybook? And why has the Western model proved insufficient? to say the least. Earlier, I sat down with Dr. Paul Tembe, senior lecturer and researcher at the University of South Africa, joining me from the South African capital of Pretoria. I think China is constantly trying to find answers to bring um, modernization to its people. And this time, during the opening session of the 20th National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party president, she delivered the uh, report, which is much anticipated by the world, where he talked about a Chinese path of modernization. I'm sure you have uh, taken note of that because it's a very first time that he put specific emphasis on the Chinese path of modernization. He was talking about this is a, uh, a modernization of a huge population. This is a modernization of uh, a harmony between nature and humanity. This is modernization of uh, peaceful development and so on and so forth. What do you think of uh, this sets of elaborations and uh, do you think these are important to be heard for people in developing countries? Yes, yes, exactly. And it, and it speaks to, the, to my latest book. It speaks to my latest book because we first had China dream, and then we had everything with Chinese characteristics, with Chinese characteristics. Right. I said, what, what is Chinese characteristics? <laughs> After so many travels to China and back and staying in Zhejiang and Beijing, I discovered what is Chinese characteristics. Chinese characteristics is a model that will serve local Chinese people. And if those models are successful, then they can help Chinese people to go outside. But at the core of those Chinese characteristics, it is Chinese value system. What happened in China? China was able to subdue modernity to its traditions. For example, the family hierarchy in China, the rationale is spread through all other institutions, be it government, be it school, be it work units, that structure, family structure of respect exists. So that is Chinese uh, characteristics. Chinese characteristics is to drink from Chinese traditions in order to tackle modernity, not take modernity for modernity's sake and let it to be a runaway train because then you lose Chinese identity. And that is the balance that even Africa has to find. Yes, we want to be modern, but what is it that speaks to our mind and our hearts? And I think that's another role, duty for China to understand. What is it that is in the African mind and African hearts? That is a foundational value of Africa. Then China will succeed to have a long-term cooperation with the Africa. What does it mean for China to highlight such a model, to highlight 
the Chineseness of our modernization. What does it mean for the Western world, Dr. Tembe? Let me start from the good aspect. What does it mean for the African world? It means there is a chance for Africa to develop without feeling inferior. There is a chance for Africa to create a model based on its original traditions, be they pre-colonial, be they those of the liberation movements. So there is a big light. That's one of the things that draws me to China. Having stayed in Northern Europe for almost 15 years, when I moved to China, I found similarities. I found as if I was home, but a better home in the sense that traditions did not only end in the private household, mm. they stretched out. So the rationale of tradition was in the corridors of power and in the workplace. Now, coming to the, what does it mean to the Western world? Of course, when there's a new kid in the block, you are going to feel threatened. And we've had a couple of schisms between the West and China. We've seen the current rise of unilateralism. And that unilateralism is based on the fact that if there's a fair play, then China, quote unquote, will take over, which is not true. So there is some sort of like either resentment or the West feeling threatened to a certain level that, look, this is a paradigm shift now. And that is what I expound in my current work of, uh, which I call uh, fear of equality. Fear of, fear of equality. Equality. And China strives for equality. Right. The, the biggest work of the CPC with the President Xi Jinping at the helm, the main issue is to get rid of disparities between the poor and the rich. Last year, we were speaking of a relatively prosperous society. And those are new concepts. This is the biggest paradigm shift. If more parts of the world could learn from that and move away from the situation of the zero-sum game, we'll be having another world very soon. Yeah. Or our children will be having another world. Some people naturally, I would say, would be concerned that why is China so obsessed about its uniqueness? You know, why is China not able to integrate itself into the common path of modernization? Why does it have to stress, look, the Chinese characteristics, Chinese traditions, Chinese identity? Do you see it that way? Is there the danger of an over obsession with holding on to one's identity and past? There is a book uh, written by Professor Arif Dirlik. He says, whose modernization is it anyway? Whose modernization? Because the history of 500 years until now has been a history of deleting and rubbing away all other modernizations as if history only happened in one region of the world, which is the West. And that is a fallacy. And that fallacy and that mentality is still affecting China-Africa relations. Until very recently, Africans knew about China through Western rhetoric. And what I call synologism, and Professor Cho called uh, synologism, is when Chinese try to understand, even my scholar colleagues from China, try to understand Africa via the Western perspective. And it is now our duty through projects like this that you must get a synergy whereby when I look at a 
Chinese person, I first look at a Chinese identity, not the false level of hierarchy, white, Asian, African. There is this fallacy of hierarchies in the world. And that fallacy translates into economic violence, translates into social violence, and it translates to right out superiority. And that hubris, when you see another region, which is not Western, developing to the international sphere, then you start getting scared. This is why we find unilateralism pushing so high. And that's exactly why China is pushing so much. And I think it will come up in the current Congress, pushing for multilateralism, because unilateralism is not going to lead us anywhere. The obsession is fallacy. The obsession it's is fallacy. Fear. Not our past, yeah, it's not our identity. Yes. We should be able exactly. to, to feel proud of what uh, we have always been and continue to be who we exactly. are. Exactly. So what does that mean for the rest of the world, let's say, in five years? Will we see some tangible changes to the international order as a result of that, as a re result of a more assertive Chinese identity? We are finally able to, to say and to, to be um, proud of who we are as Chinese and as Africans as well. Yes, as Africans as, as well. That's how, that's how I was going to move into because China has taken a risk here. China has done lots of things that have not been done, that have not been achieved in human history. Getting rid of poverty, 770 million, uh, giving people sound schools, and keep on advancing. China even went to the extent or to spheres where nobody thought, because everybody looked at the trajectory of development at step by step, mm -hmm. but China refused to do that. For example, you've got satellite in space yeah. and you are fighting, and now we are, we are competing about payloads with the master of space, if I can call them so. That is both Russia and the United States of America. China is there in the midst. That tells me then that if Africa can put its ducks in order in 20 years time or so, because we have a couple of advantages, mineral resources, we are looking at the African demographic uh, dividend, uh, arable land, mostly which should not be undermined if used correctly. We have China as our partner. China is the greatest trader with Africa. China is the second biggest economy in the world. So Africa also aspires to that position. Without copy and paste from Chinese system, we will look where China has succeeded and how China has succeeded. And I've already mentioned two. One, implementation. And implementation is only feasible if we have a long-term strategy. That's right. number one. Number two, get rid of colonial perspectives or Western perspective of regarding the selves. Africa has to look at itself with its own values and then take all modernities, both Asian and European modernities, and put it under its tradition. You cannot change yourself from being a frog to be a snake just because snakes eat better or you think snakes are, have a better life. You've been born a frog, we're a frog, find a way. And China showed us that. Maybe the analogy, I know traditionally, we've got different meanings about animals, but 
I think you understand the, my my analogy. We will a be ourselves. A tiger is a tiger is a tiger. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Let's exactly. be ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what Africa needs. Absolutely. Dr. Paul Tembe joining us from Pretoria at the University of South Africa. Such a pleasure to have had this conversation with you. My interview with Dr. Paul Tembe, senior researcher and uh, lecturer at the University of South Africa. We'll take a short break and when we come back, former Prime Minister of Greece, George Papandreou, speaks on the causes of the world crisis through eyes of Europe. Stay with us. Making room for all opinions and seeing events from more than one side. This is The Point. Why do crises seem to be spiralling out of control? Is our world blinded by fear? George Papandreou, former Prime Minister of Greece, also President of Socialist International, reflected on the unprecedented challenges that we're now facing in Europe in the first half of our interview broadcast earlier. In the second part, is the European Union still able to bring permanent peace? How can China-Europe cooperation address the most pressing issues of our times and help avoid catastrophic outcomes? Let's hear what he had to say. Looking at Europe, where you are now, what is the biggest challenge for this continent at this moment in your eyes? The world today is um, facing unprecedented challenges. Uh, and uh, we have, uh, I think that has created a sense of um, fear, a sense of uh, sometimes despair, uh, also a very gloomy picture for many. And uh, we need we really need to uh, step up to uh, to deal with these big challenges we have. Europe, I believe, is facing an existential crisis or an existential moment, if you like, because we are, of course, 27 nations. If you think of a wider Europe, we're up to 40, 46 nations. But the European Union is a, a meeting of different nations. We have had wars between us. Uh, we have had the World War. Uh, and we have decided that... Uh, in order to build peace, permanent peace, we respect certain rules, we respect certain uh, international law, we respect each other's sovereignty, we respect uh, the, um, the dignity of each and every peoples uh, on, on, on our continent. So this has been the basis of our cooperation. And uh, we expected that this would be, uh, of course, uh, the way we would never see war again on this continent. So it has been a shock for, for many, uh, both in Europe but around the world, that this is happening. And we need to deepen our cooperation. Uh, first of all, we need to defend these basic principles, international law. We cannot accept that uh, one country will take over a part of another country for whatever reason. Uh, we believe that there, there needs to be a peaceful dialogue uh, within the United Nations, if necessary, or other international bodies, with whenever there is any kind of a dispute. This is a, a belief that uh, is deep in Europe because of the historical experience we have had. I know China also has had uh, terrible experiences in the past of imperialism and invasions, and uh, this is a basic tenet of, uh, of Chinese foreign policy, not to uh, interfere and not to... Uh, 
annex or 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 if you like uh, to um have wars which which will destroy uh, or or undermine the sovereignty of other nations i think that's a very important principle uh, globally secondly we have to band together to realize some of our weaknesses and uh, one of our weaknesses has to do with two things first of all the general fact and that is a question globally that we have been very dependent on our energy on fossil fuel on gas and oil uh and coal but based particularly gas and oil and this of course has destroyed our climate and that then becomes a geopolitical issue uh so i believe that moving to sustainable renewable resources also gives nations their freedom uh their dignity uh their independence if you like where they can cooperate not under the force of uh, the someone controlling their energy but basically being able to control your own energy which is very much important i think for all our nations and all our citizens but un- under the circumstances of course this cannot be done in one day this cannot oh. be done in even one month so we are facing difficult problems this winter next winter i assume will be the same very difficult problems for our citizens and uh, we are looking for measures which we can alleviate the problems of this i'm sure that the, these problems have affect globally Yeah, when you talk about we, who exactly do you mean? Do you mean European leaders? Do you mean members of the international community including China, including European countries, including Russia, including other countries in the world? Who exactly do you mean we? When I say we and we when I when I talk about the 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 global issues, of course I mean uh I mean everyone and certainly China. China has a major role to play. uh on the issue of uh, of climate change and I know it has stepped up to uh move forward towards renewables and I think these are areas where there can be cooperation uh, such as other areas too of weapons of mass destruction even during this polarized time it is insanity I I use the word very very consciously it is insanity mm-hmm. to talk about the use of nuclear weapons Right. Well, how does understand this uh, mentality of European leaders at this moment because here in China um it seems puzzling, it seems perplexing to us that European leaders knowing their dependence on energy from Russia for instance, they impose sanctions on Russia, they stood united of course to defend their values, but knowing there's a harsh winter coming up and they rely on Russian gas and yet they took the measures which it doesn't that partially lead where european energy situation to where it is at this moment i mean help us understand uh, exactly what led the situation to this moment and what could what could have been done or what has to be done the european union has not in fact stopped uh receiving energy from russia uh however because of the war uh and because of uh the tensions between uh not only Europe but other parts of the world the prices of energy have gone up uh because energy is is of course uh, limited uh, these sorts of resources are limited within right. in a global at the global level uh and this of course is is hurting everyone but um but our decision in Europe has been that uh, we do not want to uh uh to send money to to uh, to Russia to fuel its tanks and its uh, and its military machine which now has invaded Ukraine so this is this is the reason and unluckily this is this is a result of the war 
So yes, it is painful for Europe, but uh, if the war was to be over and if there were different relations with Russia, then I think, of course, this would be much less of a problem. Mr. Papandreou, I mean, I understand, I, re I can relate to a lot of what you just said, but it seems to me uh, you are saying almost all of these problems come from the result of the war and uh, mostly coming because of the action of one country, which is Russia here. I mean, from the Chinese understanding, from a lot of the understanding, a lot of Chinese scholars and, and American analysts as well. Um, for instance, famous scholar, Mr. Um, Myers, who talks about what led, you know, the conflict to this. There has been a role that European leaders, that Europe also contributed to the tension this far. So looking back, are you still seeing the kind of moments that you recalled in a, in a TED uh, speech many years ago where you say people were led by fear, people were driven to make hasty decisions by fear, not by, you know, what they have to do. They wouldn't take the 10 minute necessary, to, you know, to, to give a serious discussion more time because the markets were open in Japan. You said that. Do you think this, this mistake is still being made here? That, that is one of the problems we have globally is that we have crises which uh, then push us to make decisions very quickly uh, or sometimes we do not have the time to analyze uh, these uh, these decisions and they can be they can be difficult or catastrophic sometimes for for our societies um, and I, I I would hope that in this war that we do not have the uh, catastrophic decision of, of nuclear weapons uh, because of fear or because of um, sense of, of some defeat or something uh, similar. But in the case of, of Russia, I think when after the Cold War, uh, you know, we can historically look back and see, and I was following this, I was foreign minister also uh, during that time, and I was also a fellow at Harvard uh, listening to the discussions with after the fall of the Berlin Wall. And there was a lot of discussion about how one should deal with uh, this new emerging Russia. Should mm -hmm. it be, should one, should be helped and integrated or should we be fearful of, of this Russia still as, a, as, as the Soviet Union and the Cold War period. And I think, uh, uh, of course, there were mistakes made. Uh, I believe that uh, uh, we can look and see and see that um, Maybe some of the wrong signals were given to Russia. Maybe there was not much dialogue as we needed more dialogue and more uh, understanding of the uh, psychological uh, and uh, economic issues that were going on in Russia as it was changing into a different uh, situation mm -hmm. and feeling a sense possibly of, of, um, of historical uh, change, uh, defeat maybe for some, others maybe liberation because they they left the Soviet Union and they feel more liberated, the mm -hmm. countries that were created, but maybe some in Russia felt this as a defeat. All of these I can understand. Uh, and we can always talk about this. But there's one big difference. War. This does not justify war. We would justify discussion, it would justify to debate, to, to work together, to have different views, but it does not justify war. And that, I think, is what is the big problem. Uh, and that has created problems. And I think it's created a problem for Russia itself. I'm very sad for the Russian people, 
because they now are being uh, taken to war, which I think has uh, has no real um, no real purpose. If, if the sense of security that Russia felt did not have, uh, which may have been may have been uh, true in many ways, uh, there was no real threat towards Russia. But now, of course, after this war, um, what what uh, President Putin has, has 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 been able to do, he has NATO is expanded already. Uh, he was unhappy about NATO. Well, already two neutral countries, Finland and Sweden, have applied to become members of NATO. Um, those who were talking about dialogue with Russia now, um, very difficult to talk about a dialogue with Russia because of this situation, with this war situation. And and I feel that this has been uh, this is unjust towards the Russian people. So I would, of course, believe that diplomacy is, is the way, but uh, that also means that one has to respect the territorial integrity of Ukraine. And this is what is the problem right there. But it is, it is, a, it is a problem that has developed um, uh, because of the war, these problems that have developed because of the war. And, and as I said, this is unjustified. Uh, in Europe, there is generally a, a mood that uh, Europe and China have uh, much where we can have cooperation in many areas. Uh, we want to cooperate on climate change. We want to cooperate on economic development. We want to cooperate on trade. Uh, and there may be differences in other areas also. But we do not see strategically uh, China as a threat uh, to, to Europe. Uh, as a matter of fact, I believe my personal view is that Europe and it can play a very important role uh, in uh, the um, decisions that China and the policies that China has, has uh, expounded in many areas, such as the Belt and Road uh, um, project or the uh, Global Development Initiative. Mm -hmm. uh, I think this is these are areas where there can be genuine cooperation, yeah. not only between Europe and China, but also in areas such as in Africa, where China is investing, but Europe also has a great stake to see the development of Africa, because this is this is an area which will have the highest population growth in the next decades. And if we do not develop them, if they do not have a sense of subsistence and fighting poverty and a sense of prospects, uh, yeah. there will be huge, huge, amazing migratory um, pressures uh, on, uh, on Europe and other parts of the world. Yeah, George Papandreou, former Prime Minister of Greece, thank you very much for accepting our interview. Thank you. George Papandreou, former Prime Minister of Greece and President of Socialist International. With that, we come to the end of this edition of The Point with me, Liu Xin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Liu Xin in Beijing. You've got The Point.